Hi, this is Eliza Orleans, and you're listening to my friend, Ben Glebe, who is running for president to take our democracy back on Two Broads Talking Politics. Hey everyone, this is Kelly with Two Broads Talking Politics. I'm on with my co-host Sophie. Hey Sophie. Hey, hey. And tonight we are joined by a stand-up comedian who is also running for president, Ben Glebe. Hi Ben. Hello, Kelly, Sophie, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us. All right, so Ben, let's just sort of start with the obvious here. You are a, a stand-up comedian. You've done TV. You've uh, you started a telethon. Why are you running for president? Because I feel like it's needed to have an outside voice in this race. I don't feel like all of the candidates should be just career politicians and multimillionaires because I feel like that's a big part of what's wrong with our society and with our politics. And if we keep trying the same thing over and over again, that's literally the definition of insanity. We expect <laughs> different results. And on top of that, being a comedian, so I feel like I'm, a, I'm an outside voice and, and a regular person because road traveling stand-up comics are completely regular people. I've chosen to make my life by traveling to towns big and small, hanging with, relating to, making laugh, and then sometimes getting drunk with regular people. But on top of that, being a comedian, I think I have a unique ability to stop Donald Trump and to make sure that he loses this time around. I believe that he's the biggest existential threat our nation has faced probably ever. And I don't at all have confidence that the candidates currently running on the Democratic side are possessing the skills necessary to stop him. They may have great progressive policies, which I do as well, but they're too cautious. They need to protect their career if they don't win. And they already are too entrenched in the system to be able to know how to deal with the anomaly that is Trump. He is something very different. He's what I call the orange monster, and you need some special skills to stop it. He's the heckler in chief, and the best way to ensure you take down a heckler is with a comedian. So what are some of those skills? What are, what are some of the ways you think, like, let's say you're on a debate stage with Trump or something, you know, like, how, how do you take someone down like that? You bring the pain through humor. You bring the comedy. You don't let him get the laughs. You respond to his laugh lines with better laugh lines. I'm one of the better improv comics out there. I, I react in the moment very, very well. And I'm not afraid of taking people down with insults, something that Trump is very good at. I think we need someone like that on the side of the good guys to ensure that this guy gets taken down. As Bill Maher said, and I quote, because I have it memorized, because I've seen my own video probably too many times, <laughs> is we need somebody who can shred Trump like a stand-up does a heckler, because Trump is a heckler, and to defeat him, we need a comedian. So I would call him nicknames. I already got a bunch that I've been brewing in my brain. I would give him his little insult nicknames. I would do my impression of him and just mock him right to his face. If he complains about how the Democrats have... 12 angry Democrats have created this whole witch hunt to distract the country from the real issues. And there's, they've distracted the country and there's no collusion. And it's a complete witch hunt and it's a total ridiculous sham. I would reply by saying maybe something to the effect of, let me just 
paraphrase the president of the United States right now, leader of the free world. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. I'm a little baby boy. <laughs> and you just mock him. He's afraid of people directly calling out how ridiculous he is. He's so afraid of comedians, he can't even handle a comedian for 15 minutes once a year at the White House Correspondents' Dinner and refuses to show up there. How do you think he would do with a comedian going at him one-on-one for a year of a general election and even during the primaries coming at him in a way that traditional politicians have not been able to do for two years so far? You mentioned that you get to have a lot of contact with regular people um, through your work as a comedian. Can you tell us a little bit about what regular people are saying in terms of issues? Like, what are they asking you about? What are they what do they care about? What are they interested in? Absolutely. So in my travels and my conversations with people, gun control is very much at the forefront of their brains. They're afraid for their children's safety at school, at religious school. I had a Jewish woman in San Diego tell me at a town hall I held held just a couple days ago that she literally is afraid for her children's lives when she sends them to Hebrew school. That's the America we're living in now. I was talking with a bunch of regular people in Boise, Idaho recently, and I sat down with six people for a drink, and three of the six were unable to afford health care and were concerned if they got sick in any severe way, they would be bankrupt. Their lives would be threatened. And the and they were also currently paying Obamacare penalties of two or three thousand dollars a year to not have health care. So it seems like that aspect of Obamacare, which was well intentioned, did not work out like it should have. It's not encouraging them to get insurance. The premiums are so much higher, they're choosing to pay the premium just because they I mean the penalty because they can't afford the premium. And a fourth of those six people wanted to leave his job and start his own business. Later in life, wanted to have a new chapter and is unable to leave his job because his health care is tied to his employment and a job he's sick of for 20 years. And he can't leave because he's going to lose his health care. So those are just a couple of the big things that are heavy on people's minds. One of the issues you list on your website is uh, not letting the robots take over. <laughs> so uh, the idea of uh, protecting American jobs from automation. You know, this is something that not as many of the Democratic candidates are, are talking about, or at least isn't sort of the, the top of their list of issues. Can you say why that's one of the things that you're really focusing on? Absolutely. The only candidate who talks about it is Andrew Yang. He doesn't talk. He talks about it in a completely defeatist way. Andrew Yang says that his plan is to give a universal basic income of $1,000 a month to people because robots are going to take their jobs. And first of all, $1,000 a month does not replace people's income from their jobs. Truck drivers make far, far more than that. So it's just a very expensive band-aid that does not solve the problem where he keeps saying that he talks to a, a room full of CEOs and industry leaders and said to them, how many of you plan to automate away your workforce in the next 10 years? And they all laughed and raised their hands. So it's coming. Well, excuse me, you're running for president, bro. The whole point of what of trying to be the leader of, of a nation is so that you can stop things that we don't want to happen. Um, why it's so important to me is America can be the beacon, not only of hope, but of humanity. We don't need to cede our societies to the robots without having a robust debate about whether we want that or not. 
what industries are we comfortable having people take over or not? It doesn't make sense that we're not going to discuss as a society whether we want all of the trucks on our roads being driven without a driver. If we want all the servers in our restaurants and in our retail stores being robots. That's not the America I want to live in. I want to live in a place where people are still valued. That's not a Luddite or anti-technology stance. Technology can be welcomed where it can aid human work, where it can help us be more efficient, but to get rid of whole industries for robots just because corporations want a little bit more profit seems to be something every candidate should be talking about, and none of them are talking about trying to stop that and value, put some actual value on a human workforce. Call that a crazy idea. I think humans are nice to have around. Plus, every single science fiction story you've ever read tells you when the robots take over, it does not end well for humanity. (laughs) So I don't know why we're so open to just letting them run amok with our industries and our lives. So what are some of the things that you would like propose to prevent the further automation of various industries? So there are a lot of things you can do. You can, A, just straight up make legislation that you would not allow driverless cars on our roads. We can just say no to that just because the industries are developing the technology doesn't mean they get to decide. They will always, as we've seen with the destruction of our environment, make whatever decision makes them an extra dollar, but we can just say, no, we actually want to keep human drivers on our roads. Or we can say we don't want to have robot cashiers. We can also offer tax incentives to companies that keep a human workforce or keeping a large percentage of their work output produced by human beings. In certain instances where we do agree that that other nations are advancing too much in far too more profitable a way over us in a certain industry, let's say trucking, where we realize we do want to allow that to be taken over if a new technology is invented that can replace those jobs for humans and find them another place to work, we can still make sure that by not taking, by not letting robots take over, it doesn't have to be not letting them do anything, but we can make sure that humanity is our concern and we give a soft place to land for the people who were in those jobs. So there are ideas out there like we can give the truck drivers ownership in their robot trucks, in their self-driving vehicles, and so they can be responsible for maintaining them and logging them and loading them and unloading them, and they can still interface with it and have sort of and have some sort of a profit participation in it. So they have skin in the game and not just having their jobs stripped away and walking around in this vast, lawless robot land looking for work and getting $1,000 a month from Andrew Yang which doesn't provide for them or their families. And that's the best idea from the other candidates. And so can you uh, tell us a little bit, you uh, mentioned on on your bio, on your website, that you've been a political contributor uh, to a lot of different places, uh, that you've had a lot of political conversations and that you created the Telethon for America. Can you talk a little bit about those uh, those forays into politics and political thought? Absolutely. I, you know, was growing up in my college years in my early 20s, not caring too much about politics. And then George W. Bush got elected for the first time and my eyes opened wide and realized, wow, there is quite a difference that's possible here with who we elect as our leaders if they don't have a moral base that is in line with what I consider to be pretty broadly accepted American values. And then when he was elected a second time after all of the destruction that his first administration had 
caused in, in the world and in our country, I just became so hardcore passionate about politics. So I just dove deep into it. And so alongside my comedy career, A, it infused my comedy, but alongside my comedy career, I also just became very political. I started a podcast called Last Week on Earth. Y'all can feel free to subscribe. And um, I made it political. And I wanted what I wanted to do was try to actually have an impact to reach people that I knew were not caring about politics, not because they don't care about the world, but because they felt like they didn't understand it. They felt like it was over their heads. So I dedicated myself to presenting a podcast that was funny and weird and dirty and strange, but all all mostly about all mostly a phrase which does not mean all, but mostly about politics, so that it would excite the ears of people that never thought they would be into it before. And that's the best compliments I ever got was so many people told me that they started caring about the news because of my podcast. And then I started going on more legitimate channels with my political comedic commentary like CNN and NPR for seven years. I was on the Pat Morrison program, a show called Comedy Congress. I'd go on with Mark Marin and Aisha Tyler and Alonzo Bowden and Greg Proops. And three of the four of us at a time would always just skewer the politicians of, 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 of the day and do that for seven years and just help bring insight into what was ridiculous about the things they were saying and things they were doing. Again, to try to make, I think comedy is a great way for people to open their eyes to understand things in a more deep way and to really viscerally connect with the messages of what is truly happening. And then I covered for NPR, the Republican and Democratic National Conventions. And I went on Fox News into the belly of the beast and tried to speak truth to to the powers that be there and call out their hypocrisy on their network to their face. Or I debated in 2016 all the issues of the election with Tommy Laren face-to-face in her Dallas studio when she was back at the Blaze, Glenn Beck's network, and just face-to-face tried to take on one of the biggest voices of the right who gets so many people riled up with her final thoughts rants. And I wanted to be able to diffuse that with my points and my comedy and Um, She had been a fan of mine, so I wanted to use that platform that I had access to her to be able to get people thinking and to get her followers thinking about different lines of thought. I got her to admit that she would, that she does defend Colin Kaepernick's right to protest, which kind of diffuses her whole argument then that he shouldn't be protesting. You might not like to protest, but don't give angry rants saying he shouldn't be doing it if you defend his right to do it but she doesn't like to present that case usually, but I could bring that out in her. And then I created in November the Telethon for America, which just as a private citizen, I wanted to do my part as well in these incredibly important midterm elections we just had. Voter turnout is terribly low in this country, and I wanted to do my part to increase that and to help create historic turnout because controlling who controls the House and the Senate is so crucial to our future. And so... I created an event, first of its kind, that kind of reinvented telethons, the first telethon in history with the goal of raising zero dollars. And ladies, we succeeded. (laughs) We raised no money because our goal was instead to take pledges for people to vote the very next day in the midterm elections and to form voting squads with their friends and bring their friends out to the polls. And in a very short time frame, I put together this event from inception of the idea execution of just seven weeks and literally three weeks before we had not a dollar of funding. And in those last three weeks, I closed 
over $300,000 of funding, made the show for a fraction of the cost of what TV shows normally come in at, brought it in under budget, shared the amount that was left in the budget with the people that worked hard on the show, not just kept it all for myself like most CEOs and people in charge do. And we gathered 95 huge celebrities to take part in this nonpartisan telethon, just encouraging people to vote. People like Charlize Theron and Natalie Portman and Chelsea Handler and Jane Fonda and Justin Theroux and Constance Wu and Lonnie Love all working our phone bank and and video participation from Amy Schumer and Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Dr. Phil and Larry King and Pete Davidson and Ray Romano and a, a mil, Nikki Glaser and a million amazing people, Jeffrey Ross, all supporting getting people out to vote, making sure they're aware of the voter protection hotline, how to how to report voter irregularities done through different comedy sketches, things like that. I hosted the event with Olivia Munn and we had over a million people watch it and tens of thousands of pledges came in to form voting squads, exponentially increasing that reach. And we played some part in our goal being achieved, which was we had the most historic voter turnout among youth ever record turnout and the best turnout overall since 1914. That's just something that I did as a private citizen. So I think that's, you know, considering there's a lot of people running for president who are in Congress who say great stuff when they run for office, but then have a very suspect track record to affecting big change and they're in power. Just imagine what I could do if I had budgets and any leverage of power to be able to, to pull things off. Who would be your ideal running mate? It's a very good question. People like to say, would it be Jeffrey Ross or would it be Jon Stewart? I would not have a comedian as a running mate. It would be far too much funny going on the way House. Plus, I don't need to be upstaged <laughs> by those guys. Um, don't need that kind of competition at all. I would look at the best of who emerges in the way that impressed me the most from the Democratic field, and I would choose somebody. Um, initially, the person that I think would be most amazing if she would do me the honor of accepting the second banana roll would, would be Elizabeth Warren. I think she's a great fighter and seems to be very passionate and have great policy ideas. All right. If our listeners are excited about your vision, how can they help out your campaign? Thank you for asking. So we are trying very hard to meet the threshold of 65,000 individual donors to get the last spot available. There's only one spot now. You must act now. One spot left in the Democratic debates at the end of June. The deadline is basically June 11th two weeks before, plus a couple days to verify, to get 65,000 donations. We're already well on our way, but we have a long way to go. So we hope that people will donate whatever they can afford so we have some money to compete with these multi-million dollar machines, but at least $1. If you can donate at least $1 at Glebe2020.com, G-L-E-I-B 2020.com. And then if you do so, please tell five or 10 of your friends and get them to do it. We have a chance of getting a little bit of exponential growth that will get us over that finish line in these next two weeks. And I'm not asking for your endorsement yet. Nobody should be decided, I don't think, who they're voting for a year and a half plus before the election. But if you just like the idea of an outside voice who's bringing some new ideas that no one's talking about and a little bit of a comedic flair to the proceedings as well, which tend to be pretty boring, please give just a dollar to see if they will indeed allow an outside voice into – our politics, or if that's another facade that we're being told, but in fact, we are not truly a democracy by the people anymore, but it's just an illusion. Seems like a pretty good deal for $1.
$1 is, by the way, about a 99% discount off of Bernie Sanders' $27 average. So I think he's part of the savings here. All right. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining us today. And uh, people should check out your website because it's funny. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, I try to infuse humor in my issues again, just so it keeps people interested and phrases things in a way that is more appealing uh, than the typical boring politician stuff. And uh, we'll, we'll put some links up to your website so people can find that too. Thank you so very much. Have a wonderful evening. You too. Thanks for listening to Two Broads Talking Politics. Our theme song is called Are You Listening? off of the album Elephant-Shaped Trees by the band Immunuri, and we're using it with permission of the band. Our logo and other original artwork is by Matthew Wethlin and was created for use by this podcast.